of good health and healing. Father, we pray that this will be a year of great success. Lord, we look forward to a year of 2023 of great victories. Hallelujah. May this year also be, Lord God, a, a year of prosperity and provisions. May it be a year of restoration. Hallelujah. May it be a year of revival. Glory to God. Lord, we look forward to 2023. And Lord, we pray that you equip us for whatever challenges we may face ahead. But Lord, we look to you, Lord, because we know that we have the victory no matter what comes our way. Hallelujah. And Lord, we carry the banner of victory into this new year. Nothing shall overcome us. Hallelujah. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Hallelujah. And Lord, we thank you right now for all that is said and done. We thank you for your presence here in the house. We thank you for your presence in the homes, Lord God, of our viewers this morning, Father God. And we thank you so much for what you're about to do today as we come with expectation, oh God. Hallelujah. Lord, let us start off the year 2023 with a bang. And Lord, for this, we thank you. And we honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And every God's people say, Amen. Do this with me, nice and loud. And let's shout, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Blessed be the name of Jesus. I want to wish you all a very happy New Year. I also want to wish our viewers a happy new year as well. We don't know what's coming ahead, but we know it's good because God is involved. Amen. Uh, Before we get into the message this morning, let me just say this. Um, Most of you probably already know, but uh, Pastor John uh, was tested positive early in the week with COVID. Uh, He's now tested negative, but he's at home resting and recovering. Uh, but also, Pastor Chris also was tested positive. And um, yeah, as a matter of fact, he was supposed to be here this morning, but he called me to stand in for him because, well, because of the situation. But he's at home resting. I checked in with him this morning. He's doing okay, but he's recovering. Uh, but we want to continue to pray for the family, uh, for strength and healing and restoration. Uh, but before you know it, they'll be back up here in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get into the word this morning, shall we? If you'll join me as we pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Father God, for this opportunity to receive your word and to give your word out to your people this morning. Father, I ask that you speak through my lips. Lord God, that you use this vessel to produce blessings, revelation, understanding, and wisdom, Father God, through your word. Father, we rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to us to minister to us, to teach us, to encourage us, to strengthen us with your words tonight, this morning. And so, Father, we thank you for what you're about to do today. We, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your mighty power. And, Lord, for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. We all know that designer clothes are known by their design or trademarks. We can walk into a store and know that this item is a Ralph Lauren or a Tommy Hilfiger or Yves Saint Laurent. 
because each one of those items uh, are known by their trademark. Trademarks that make them very visible and very uh, noticeable. There are certain offices that people hold that are identified by, their, by the, what they wear. Doctors, we know doctors by the white coat that they wear. We know police officers by the uniform and the badge that they wear. We, we can know a, a, a judge by the black robe that what they wear. These are identifiable to make us know who they are. Well, God, however, sent forth something that is unquestionable, something that is undeniable, something with conclusive evidence that you and I belong to God and are close to God. As a matter of fact, so awesome is this trademark of God that he said that it would be the major declaration of our faith. Jesus puts it this way. If you'll go with me to John chapter 13 and look at verses 34 and 35, this is what Jesus said. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now look at verse 35, because this is what I want you to see. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. God's trademark is his love expressed and exercised through each and every one of us. Jesus says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. Now this commandment was to take the place of the old commandments, which are the Ten Commandments. And so for that reason, we no longer have to try to obey each of those Ten Commandments. Now stay with me now. The reason being is because when we walk in this new commandment of love, we will be fulfilling all of the Ten Commandments. When we walk in this new love law, we won't go around telling lies about anybody. We won't go stealing from anyone. We won't go killing anyone. We won't be committing adultery with anyone. Are you hearing me this morning? Look at Romans chapter 13 and look at verse 8. It says this. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. When Jesus says that a new commandment I give unto you, it is not only the standard that he set, but it was the example that he also set. That's what made this commandment so new. He set the example when he says in verse 34, as I have loved you, not as Pastor Mike loved you, not as Bruce loved me, not as Steve loved me, 
as I, Jesus, loved you. That is the standard that he set for us. And he didn't just say that he's for us to love him as he loved us. He went out and proved that and demonstrated that, setting that example for us. Now, if you go back to John chapter 15, look at verse 12. Here Jesus clearly defines this new commandment in the following words. He says in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So this new commandment of love that Jesus introduces to us is, uh, is just one other way. Uh, it, let me just say it like this. It is based on the sacrificial love that he demonstrated towards us. Okay, again, I'm, I'm talking about the standard that he set for us, okay? Because we all love, but our standard of love does not meet the standard of his love. So that's the difference here. And because this new love law is now would be the mark of distinction so that our love for one another will prove to the world who we really are, that we are his disciples, Go to Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 15. Jesus became the embodiment of God's love. In Colossians 1 and verse 15, it says this. Christ, he that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now we see something similar also in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, where it says that Jesus was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his likeness. So when we see Jesus, we see God. Some of you remember the story when one of Jesus' uh, disciples, which was Philip, would go to Jesus and say, Lord, show us the Father. And then Jesus turns to him and says, have I not been with you? And yet you have not known me, Philip? Then he made this very important statement. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. That's because Jesus was the express image of his likeness and of his person. He is the embodiment of everything that God is. Now, while you're still in Colossians chapter 1, look it down in verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now, let me read that to you from the Amplified Version to get a clearer picture of what Paul was trying to say. He says this, For it has pleased the Father... That all the divine fullness, the sum total of the divine perfection, powers, and attributes should dwell in him. Now quickly look over to uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in him, that is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity, that is the entire Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. Now watch this. Giving complete expression of the divine nature. So Jesus was the embodiment of the fullness of his Father in nature, in power, in all of his attributes, including his love, because God is love. When Jesus walked in mercy, he was expressing God. When Jesus walked in power, he was expressing God. When Jesus walked in love, he was expressing God. So Jesus, while on this earth, expressed tangible and visible evidence and form 
of this love. He was the embodiment of all that God is. And as Jesus was the embodiment of his Father's love, we are all called to embody Christ's love. And to embody his love is to give expression or tangible and visible form to this love. I'm not talking about going up to you and says, I love you, my brother, and I love you, my sister, which we're all accustomed to doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure that we all mean what we say. But God's love is beyond words. God's word is not about statements. God's word is about action. God's word is about expression. God's word is about experience. So when some, so if, if someone tells me they love me, they better back that up. I'm not going to just take your word for it. I need to see that love. Because that's what God did through his son. Now go to 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 12. How many of you have ever seen God? If I see a hand raised, see me at the end of the service because I want to deliver you. All right, no one has ever seen God. Look at what John says. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And God's love is brought to full expression in us. We may not see God, but when we walk in his love, when we are expressing this love, that's when we see God in us. That's what we should be doing. We should be seeing God in each one of us by the expression of his love, not your love. I appreciate you loving me, but I would rather you love me with God's love. And I'll talk to you about that later. So I love what E.W. Kenyon said. He says that when we walk in love, we resemble God. He also says when we let love loose in us, we let God loosen us. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus commanded us that we are to love one another as he loved us. Now let's talk about the, the concept of love. We know there are two kinds of love in this world. There's the human kind of love, which is limited and which is conditional. Then there's the God kind of love, which is unlimited and unconditional. Now, one of the first things we must understand about God's love is that this love is from God. This is not a love that comes from the world, not a love that comes from you and I. It is a love that comes from God. And the second thing is that God is love. He is the personification of love. He is the very expression of love. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Look at verses, uh, chapter 4, and look at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us want love one another, for love is what? Of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for what? God is love. So this love, and we all know that this love comes from the Greek word agape, which is the God kind of love. It's not the eros love, which is a love that is erotic and sexual. It is not filial love, which is a love of friendship and relationship. It is the God kind of love. 
That is beyond human reasoning. That is beyond human understanding. This kind of love is spiritual, not natural. I'm getting ahead of myself. Now look at, look at the next verse, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested. That is, made visible and evident towards us. That God has sent His only Son, His only begotten Son, into the world that we might live through Him. God's love, according to the Scriptures, was unveiled, unpackaged, and made and displayed through the Son, through His Son, through the sacrifice of His Son. And then in the next verse, He defines the true concept of love. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now let me take a few moments to talk to you about this very important word, propitiation. It's only mentioned three times in the Bible, all in the New Testament. But it is a very important and very significant word. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus is our propitiation, which is a New Testament word for atonement. Now, listen very carefully. This word signifies the turning away of someone's anger or wrath by offering a gift that would pacify or calm someone's anger. How many husbands do we have here this morning? Can I see a show of hands? Husbands, can I see husbands? Come on, husbands, I know you're out there. Raise your hands, I want to see it. Don't be shy. Husbands, when your wife gets angry with you, you may go out and buy her flowers. You may go out and buy her a gift. You may even decide to take her out to an expensive restaurant for an expensive dinner. Or you may just decide to stay home and help her around the house in order to say you're sorry. In order to take the edge of some of the anger that she has towards you. And that's called making up. Some of you, how many men know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness here? Now, when it comes to the word propitiation, the best way to describe this word is using the word satisfaction or to satisfy. All right? Because the, the word propitiation, or actually the subject of propitiation, is necessary because our sin is an offense to our holy God, which is the reason why his wrath is against us and against the world. But this must be satisfied in order for God to accept us. Okay, are you, are you hearing me? Are you with me? Okay, so propitiation or to propitiate means to satisfy, all right? Because of our sin, which is an offense to God's holy character, something had to be done in order to satisfy or turn away God's anger from us. But here's the problem. No matter what we do in our own human effort, we cannot pacify or turn God's anger away from us. No matter what we do, we cannot make up with God and try to take the edge of his anger towards us. There's nothing that we can do to bring anything to God's holy table that will turn away his punishment and wrath against us because of our own sinfulness. When we commit a crime against the state, it is usually punishable by imprisonment. When we commit a crime 
against an eternal God, it, there's eternal consequences, which is an eternal imprisonment. One pastor would say it this way. He says, hell is God's eternal justice against all sinners. Now stay with me. The prophet Nahum in chapter 1 and verse 3 made this statement. He says, God will not let the guilty go unpunished. As a matter of fact, the scripture also says that God has already pronounced judgment upon all of the world, declaring everyone as guilty because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God even also pronounced our sentence against our sinfulness when the scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. And death is not a physical death, but a spiritual death, which is uh, an eternal separation and imprisonment from God. So we find ourselves in a very difficult situation, making it impossible to turn God's wrath away from us and to satisfy or to appease his anger. But here's the good news. God, knowing that we were powerless to help ourselves and knowing that there was nothing within ourselves with which to satisfy him, God took the initiative to provide his own propitiation, to provide his own sacrifice. Go to Romans chapter 5. Look at verses 9 and 10. While you're going there, let me, tell, let me read to you what Romans 5, 6 says. It says that in our weakness, when we were powerless to help ourselves, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now look at verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him, that is through Jesus. In verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, God satisfied himself by choosing his own method of satisfaction, by giving up his only son, because he knew that you and I could not come close to satisfying or appeasing his anger. But God chose his own method of satisfaction. Christ's death on the cross was the complete payment for sin. So God became completely satisfied with the offering of his son. It was God's love for us that sent Jesus to the cross. We weren't worthy of his love, but God did it anyway. Romans 5 verse 8 said, But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't just talk about how much he loved you. God demonstrated how much he loved us. Now, I want to do something with you this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something for me just for a few seconds. Those of you who are watching, I also want you to take part in this. But I want you to do this. I want you to take just a few seconds to think of the one person that you cannot stand. The one person that you do not like. Now, you may have several people in mind, but we're just going to focus on one person today, all right? And then there's some of you who just love everybody. So, and if that's the case, that's okay. You just can't take part of this exercise. But I want you to take just a few seconds to think about that person. Now, that person can be someone that may have betrayed you, someone that may have abused you, someone that may have done you dirty, 
someone who may have deceived you, someone who may have hurt you, but whatever. Just, I want you to take just a few seconds. Those of you who are watching, I want you to also do the same thing. I want you to take just a few seconds to think, starting now. Are you thinking? Okay, I can see some of you are thinking because I can see some angry faces already. I want you to think now. And as you're thinking, you're probably reminded as to why you don't like this person. So all that is probably coming back. All right. That's enough thinking. Now, now what I want you to do after everything that you've heard this morning about God's love for you, I want you to now take a second to think about how much God loves you. Think about it. Now, let me just say this. God loved us when we were messed up, jacked up, tore up from the floor up, despicable. But in our mess, he still loved us. And if God can love us as messed up and jacked up as we were, how much love do you think he has for the person that you were just thinking about? 1 John 4.10 says, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and proved it by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, husbands, imagine your wife being angry with you. And before you can even think about what restaurant you want to take her, before you can think about what gift you want to buy her, before you can think about what you want to do to help around the house, before you can do, think of whatever it is that you need to do to take the steam off of this anger towards you in order to make up with her, she instead comes and makes up with you. Some of you husbands say, well, yeah, I wish. <laughs> but that's what God did with us. You see, before we can make up with God, he instead made up with us. Because even if we try to make up with him, it was not enough. But God understood that. So he found a way to satisfy himself so that he can accept us and then love us and reconcile us back to himself. That's the God that we serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if this is real love, then listen to what else the scripture says. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. Now this is for us now, this last part of this verse. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. This is the kind of love that God expects of us. To demonstrate towards one another. Excuse me, especially to that person that you were thinking about. God called us to love others. Oh, I should say this. God called us to love those whom he loved. And God loved the good and the bad and the ugly. He loved the world. And so if God loved the world, then we also need to love the world as well. The good, the bad, and the ugly. This is the walk that God has called us to. 
This is the walk that God wants us to express. This is the kind of love that God wants us to embody in everything that we do. 1 John 4.10 once again says, in this is love. Not that God loved, not that we love God, but God loved us and gave his son for us. Love is the greatest thing in the world. How many of you believe that? Go to Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 35. If you remember the story where Jesus was involved in a conversation with a lawyer, and in verse 35, it goes on to say that the lawyer stood up and asked Jesus a question trying to test him. And he says in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Referring to the Ten Commandments. And then, now of course, the word great in the Greek means mega. Where we get the word mega millions or mega bucks or, you know, mega, which means big. It, it, it's an adjective describing something extremely large in size, capacity, or amount. But it can also mean something extremely important. And so Jesus, hearing the lawyer ask this question, responds to the lawyer in verse 37. He said this. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then in verse 38, he says, and this, this is the first and the great commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was simply saying, the greatest commandment is to love God. But just as great is also the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me ask you this. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? You ever think about that? If I was to stand here and say I love myself, you can take that one of two ways. You can say that I'm conceited and full of myself, or you can say that I, I'm, you know, I've, I've got a pretty good healthy self-esteem and I'm secure about myself. But that's not what Jesus was saying here in this verse. In order to explain what love your neighbor as yourself, let me show you or read to you what I heard someone describe in this way. And I thought this was awesome. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen very carefully now. is like tearing off the skin off your body and then wrapping it around another person so that you feel that you are that other person. And all the longings and desire that you have for your health, your happiness, your success, and your safety, you now feel for that other person as though you were that person. Isn't that awesome? That is a powerful description of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And this kind of love is unheard of in the world. Have you ever seen this kind of love being demonstrated in the world? I haven't. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it in the church either. But we're going to get there. Amen? Amen. This is what makes love so great. This is what makes it so special. This is what makes it so powerful. Because it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 13. Because God is even great. I mean, God's love is even greater than faith and hope. Look at verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, And now abide faith, hope, 
and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, we understand that faith is important because the Scripture tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're also called to walk by faith and not by sight. So faith is important, just as hope is. We live in this world with this hope that one day we're going to see Jesus in the air. And one day we're going to see God face to face and sit at his throne and begin to worship him. But when we get to heaven, hope and faith is no longer needed. Because when we get to heaven, our faith is going to be realized because we're going to see God face to face. And our hope has also been realized and fulfilled because we now see God and we're in God, with God eternally. The scripture says hope that is seen is not hope. So hope is no longer necessary and faith is no longer necessary when we get to heaven. However, love will still endure now and eternally. Because when we get to heaven, we're not going to stop loving God, are we? No, we're going to continue to love God eternally. And we're going to continue to love one another eternally. God's love is eternal. God's love never fails. And that's why it's considered the greatest of the three. Now, let's, let me just jump ahead. Let's talk about the power of love. How many of you know that there is power in love? There was this husband and wife who was having an argument. And things were getting heated. Some of you can identify with that. And as things were starting to heat up and started getting loud, the wife decided, you know what? Let's get some paper and let's write down how we feel. This way we can show it to each other and show each other how we really feel about each other. So they and the husband agreed. And because the reason why she did that, because they figured it would sort of tone down the bickering and sort of tone down the tension in the house. And so the husband agreed, and so he went and got a couple of papers. She went and got two pencils, and they both began writing. Now, at first, they were, they were just writing furiously for a while. The husband would pause, look up at his wife, and then write some more. His wife would all look up and pause and write some more. Her husband would also pause and look up again, but with an even angrier look at his face and write some more. And his wife would also look up with a pause, also with that angry look, and write some more. And it would continue doing this until finally she was done and she put her pencil down. Her husband, however, was still writing. (laughs) And when he would look at her, he would be furious and he would write some more. He would even write even more and look up to her and find even more things to write and write even more. And he continued to write even more. Now, by this time, she was furious because she only filled one side of the paper, and he's already working on the other side of the paper. (laughs) And every time he looked up at her, he would find more things to write about. And he would continue to write more. By this time, she was in pain and agony. Her fist was clenched, tears of anger swelling up in her eyes. Until finally, he says, I'm finished. And so they both exchanged papers. He looked at hers. She looked at his. 
And when she looked at his paper, she felt terrible. As a matter of fact, she wanted to take her paper back. Because when she looked at his paper, with all the pain and agony and anger that he had towards her, in every line in that paper, he wrote, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm ticked off, but I love you. I'm angry, but I love you. I don't want to be here right now, but I love you. When she saw that much love, for one, when she noticed this much love after reading his paper, love covered the multitude of the sins that led up to the argument in the first place. And my friends, if you and I can love one another like that, our love will cover a multitude of sins. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. I want you to say this with me this morning. Those of you who are watching, I want you to say this with me. Say, there is power, there is power in, love. in love. I want you to say it again. There is power, there is power. In, love. in love. So when the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, what does that mean? What is the Bible talking about when it says love covers a multitude of sins? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means covering one's faults or, or, or failures, no matter how much they may be. It means not, how can I say it? It means not, um, not being able to, uh, to being able to turn your eyes away from someone's mistakes, faults, or failures, but also hiding it from others. We live in a very social media world where people like to put other people's faults out there, other people's failures and mistakes. But love covers a multitude of sins. It covers and hides other people's faults. It also means not to condemn or to expose their faults or failures, but rather to help bear other person's burdens. To be able to forgive, to be able to forget, and to disregard offenses. It's, it's so interesting that there are so many people who love to hold grudges against people. They love to hold it over them. And for however long. And you know, and, and, but love doesn't hold grudges. It covers whatever offense was made. And it doesn't make it public. It doesn't talk to the other person and reveals it to someone else. It hides it and keeps it from others. Look at Proverbs chapter 17. Look at verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. I love what the New Living Translation says. It said, love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But dwelling on it separates close friends. Excuse me. Look at Proverbs chapter 10. Look at verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love 
covers all sins. So unless love covers, excuses, and forgives sin in others and their mistakes and failures, Satan will come in and use that to stir up strife, division, and discord. When we entertain those thoughts, what we've done is we've allowed Satan to come in. We open up a window for him to come in and begin to uh, sow seeds of discord. And when you find yourself thinking about the offense that was made against you, then Satan has you because you've allowed it to. But love covers a multitude of sin. Love does not take any record of a fault that was done to them. And what makes love so powerful is that love never fails. I remember when there was one person that I couldn't stand. And no matter what I did, this person just made my life miserable. And some of you may have, that, have had that experience as well, maybe still experiencing that. And as a young Christian, I really struggled with that. Because when I try to walk in love, the flesh starts to rise and I revert back to my old ways. And it was a real struggle. And, and, I, and I struggled and I prayed and I asked God, Lord, how am I going to do this? No matter how much I want to love this person, I can't stand this person. And this went on for years. It was a struggle for me. It was a strain in our marriage. And it really, it was really hurtful. But then God began to really deal with me. And began to show me how to love this person. Because you see, you don't love somebody with your feelings or your emotions. Because love has nothing to do with your feelings. You may feel love one day and then not feel so much love the next day. But when you walk in God's love, that love remains consistent and it never fails. And so rather than responding and reacting to this person, I just stopped saying anything. And I would respond by saying, God loves you and I'll pray for you. Now, that may sound weird to this person. But it was the only way I can really respond in a, in a positive manner. But as time went on, one day, this person called and apologized for everything that person ever said or done to me and to my family. This was not, this is not something I did, but God's love was the one that did it. Because love has a way of covering you and protecting you, no matter what comes your way. But love never fails. Love always conquers all things. And if it can turn a person who was once angry and spiteful and a persecutor and then turn that person around and change that person's heart and says, I love you. I I'm sorry. And to this day, this person and I, we can sit across the table and have fun and, and talk and in fellowship as if nothing had happened. Only God's love can do that. Now, as I get ready to close, we know that the only way that this love is possible in our lives, the only way that this love can really flow out of us is by the Spirit of God. Romans 5, 5 says, Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
The scripture also says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God did not give us a spirit of love, but I mean a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But like anything else, love has to be developed. It's been given to us when we became born again. It's part of God's nature when we receive the new heart. So it's in us. It is possible for us to walk in this God kind of love. But it has to be developed, just like faith. The scripture says that we've been given a measure of faith. Jesus makes a clear distinction between little faith and great faith. In order to get to great faith, we have to grow to that place. Same thing with love. Love needs to be developed. How many of you are, how many tea tea drinkers do we have here this morning? Tea drinkers. Tea. Someone who drinks tea. Okay. All right. Did you know that there were two types of tea drinkers? Or maybe I should say it this way. There are two ways to drink teas. You have your dippers and you have your abiders. A dipper is one who takes a tea bag and dips it into a cup until the water changes color, and then they toss it. An abider is one who drops the tea bag in the cup and then lets it there, leaves it there. For the abider who drops the tea bag in the, ba- in the cup, something amazing happens because the, ch- the color all of a sudden changes by itself. And it changes because of the influence of the tea bag affecting change in the cup. Whereas a dipper, they have to make the effort to make something happen. Right? My wife and I were tea drinkers. My wife is a dipper. I'm an abider. <laughs> and one day, her and I we were drinking coffee together. And I, and I said to her, honey, why don't you just leave the tea bag in the cup? And she would say this to me. She said, honey, I don't like it because it makes the tea too strong. Right? Now, listen very carefully what I'm about to say now. The benefit of allowing the tea bag to abide in the cup is to be able to enjoy all of the fullness of the strength and flavor of that tea. When we abide in him and he in us, we allow him to, we we, we get the benefit of, of experiencing the very power, the fullness of his strength and power of his love. In order for us, our love to develop, we have to abide in him and abide in his love. That is to remain in him. Because that's exactly what happens when we stay connected and hooked up with the Lord Jesus. Amen? Look at first John, uh, John chapter 15 and verse 4 says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. In other words, a branch cannot produce by itself. A branch cannot grow by itself. A branch cannot progress by itself unless it abides or remains in the vine. And he says, neither can you unless you abide in me. In order for our love to grow and develop, we need to stay hooked up with Jesus. We need to stay hooked up with him because when we do that, we get the benefit of the fullness and power of his love. Hallelujah. E.W. Kenyon says this, and I'll close. 
This love life that we are called to live is God actually living himself in us as he lived in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us a glimpse of what love is really like. And Father, we ask that you give us the strength, the wisdom, the ability to help us to walk in this God kind of love. Father, we thank you that we have the ability because the Spirit of God has planted this love into our hearts. But now, Lord, help us and show us how to do that. Help us not to just love with words, but to love with action. Let us put feet to our actions, Lord, when we walk in love. And Father, let us make a difference wherever we go. But we know that love never fails. Hallelujah. So, Father, we thank you and we honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Glory to God.